Welcome back to this, the third episode of Place and Time, a podcast about rhythm and location. I'm your host, Andy McAllister. My guest today is KJ Saka, a drummer who specialises in drum and bass, dubstep and all things EDM. KJ is best known for his work with Pendulum and his work with BT and Eamon Tobin, as well as having a deep catalogue of original work. In this conversation, we talk about his experiences touring the world, his renewed passion for teaching and educating during lockdown, and of course, how the Pendulum gig came about. I started by asking him about his early years of drumming and how growing up in Seattle in the 90s influenced his playing and his style. I was in junior high, I don't know, 13 or 12 or something like that, when Nirvana just came out, and then Pearl Jam just came out, and then Soundgarden, and Screaming Trees. There was all these insane bands, and it flipped everybody's world upside down. I mean, around the globe, but especially in Seattle, because I went to a bunch of early Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden shows. Wow. I'm getting goosebumps right now just, just <laughs> thinking about those shows. And they were still big shows because they they were doing all kinds of incarnations, different incarnations of the band members. And then they solidified on Pearl Jam and, and Nirvana and things like that. Hmm. And um, yeah, I saw Pearl Jam in a little park in at the Seattle Center for maybe maybe 500 people or so like standing and sitting in the park and i was just like what is this it was one of the first times i saw them i think i was like maybe 13 14 or 15 or so yeah yeah blew my mind just getting into drumming i started drumming about 11 or 12 and finally started sinking my teeth more into drumming you know a few years so watching that was a massive influence on me um and then they played this big festival that was called Drop in the Park. And that was when Eddie Vedder did his famous uh, climb the microphone cable that all the way up to the the scaffolding, which was, I don't even know, 30 feet. It was 10 meters. Yeah. Point, yeah. Uh, really, really tall. And everyone was like, oh, my God, just looking at him going, is he going to, if he falls, he's probably going to maybe die or break both his legs it was really tall and then he was just climbing all over and then finally i can't remember if he if he came down the same cable or if he came down the scaffolding but it was like i think it broke world news and it was like this huge crazy thing and we yeah. I, I was there to, to witness it i was also in the seattle center for kurt cobain's memorial which was thousands of people and that was brutal mm. and uh, that happened pretty early on too i think it was 18 um when that happened yeah, it was it was it was a shock. You know, that resonated around the world. That that did bit being you know at the heart of it in Seattle must have been quite a raw moment. Yeah, yeah, but and Seattle very similar to the UK with mm. weather and this darkness because it has there's lots of clouds and I think it breeds a lot of bands that have a a darkness to them. Mm. Great songs, you know, amazing. Yeah. Songwriting is, is uh, from sadness and heartbreak and misery. Those are all the best songs. Those are all the love songs. You're, you're right. The, the the weather and the the sort of the, the, so when you get a week where the sun doesn't really shine, you just get this oppressive cloud cover every day. That can put you in a a dark place for life, but a good place for songwriting. So, that, well, that's the thing. Yeah. So I was surrounded and among amazing musicians in Seattle and we would do all these jams at loft parties and and we had these weekly shows that not very many people were there but we didn't care we just went there and played and everyone just shredded they were super super good mm. very few got out of Seattle Michael Shreve of Santana was one of my heroes and and he said Kevin if you don't get out of Seattle you are going to rot here and and I took that as okay I got to go get gigs like if I live here I got to be a globetrotter and make things happen. And so his advice really, really pushed me out of the grips of Seattle. 
because I can imagine being in a scene where you've got lots of people who are very good at playing and you can always have a, a really good jam is quite it's you can easily just get set in there can't you and and yeah. not not progress yeah definitely like as my whole world was just doing the monday night which i got like 50 dollars for it wasn't about the money but playing setting up getting my set ready for that big monday night which wasn't a big night <laughs> it was big for me as a player though yeah and then that was kind of like my whole world and then i had a few other gigs and then, and then I, w- I was working my construction job at the time too. And, uh, and, you know, it was like, people were, were amazed when they came there and they were like, I can't even believe I'm seeing this music. This is crazy. It was really nice to, to, to be a part of that. And, uh, but it was a very small, tiny little thing when compared to yeah. the rest of the world. Of course. Yeah. It was the sort of bubble. There was something that came over from the UK that, um, Give you a little bit of inspiration. I've got a note here: Logical Progression, Volume One by LTJ Bookham, changed a few things. Oh man, absolutely! So my friend, um, blesses blesses soul, um, had a um, a cousin coming over for, for from London, somewhere around the uh, UK. I'm not sure, and he had all these CDs with him: uh, Logical Progression and a bunch of other drum and bass, and then some Crystal Method, Chemical Brothers, and some other stuff that was, I think, US-based. Uh, DJ Diesel Boy was a real big one. And I heard all this, and I couldn't believe my ears. I was just that really logical progression, just really basic, and maybe a little slower than normal drum and bass, like 150, 155, 160. Yeah. I just, I was like, I need to go try to play this right now. And it took a, a while because I was like, you know, I sit on my drum set. I was like, I'm like, that's not the sound of the, yeah. of that sound. You know, what is it? Okay. The cymbals are really low. The snare is like tight and crisp. So I started putting all these different things on my drums, basic t-shirts and things. And then I started doing more experimentation with like you know your wallet or your phone is a really good one to just really dampen it yeah it's yeah. this natural compression really we're naturally compressing the drums is what we're doing especially in recordings or well a live drum set the cymbals are so freaking loud compared to the drums and so anytime you do a recording you're trying to get the hi-hat bleed out of the microphone you're trying to get those cymbals way down half the time on gigs that are even really big gigs you hardly even need the overhead cymbal mics. Yeah. Um, and every recording that I have, I have the overheads usually down like 25 dB or something like that. It's really low. And no hi-hat microphone. Um, back in the day, I had some hi-hat microphones for like, for mix-wise, because I was doing all these little light, intricate things on both hi-hats. And so all the sound engineers would be like, we don't need the mic, we don't need the mic, the hi-hats. I'm like, no, could you please mic the hi-hats? And they're like, okay. And then at the end of the gig, they're like, wow, actually turned up the, the, the hi-hat microphones. Because they were like these really tiny little symbols, um, like two six-inch splashes on top of each other. Oh, wow. Okay. Very small. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was trying to create this shuffly sound. And I got all my inspiration from those records, from LTJ Bookham, um, Chemical Brothers. Yeah, even Chemical Brothers uh, and Crystal Method. I was like, okay, these are rock beats, but they're different. And so... Mm-hmm. I started understanding break beats. I'm like, this is a beat that the snare drum is not part of the same kit. It doesn't sound like it. And so it's just basic, basic producer stuff. You know, it's, it's there, it's a producer's world, but I was a drummer, not a producer yet, trying to figure out how to make that sound. Yeah. When I tried playing drum and bass, the very first thing I realized is you have to play it half as heavy as you play any other genre because you're going to burn out. And also to get that sound, that's that light cymbal sound. If you try and, as you say, smash into it, it doesn't sound authentic. It's the beat, but it's not the beat, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, totally. And so I used to always be a pretty light player. Um, I mean, like high pitched and snappy. Even mm. if I hit really hard, I had paper thin 14 inch cymbals. I had soprano snare drums i had a 16 inch kick everything was really small and light and snappy and it wasn't until i joined pendulum when they were like can you hit harder 
like this is more like rock metal meets drum and bass and i knew that going in and because i've always been a huge rock fan but i went deep into the rabbit hole with jungle drum and bass for a long time so yeah. much so that i stopped listening to guitar music which was the majority of the music <laughs> <laughs> on the earth right? yeah yeah or at least western music and uh, I completely stopped listening to to guitar music for a while. But my bandmate was a guitar player. And so I was like, can you turn your guitar into like a synthesizer? And so he started buying like literally every single pedal that was at the music store. Like spent all his money. He had a double rack pedal board, massive. And he made the wildest, coolest sounds. It was That's sick. It. That's, that sounds awesome. Part part of the the fun part about electronic music is making things make unconventional sounds, yeah. like you know that unexpected sound. Because this is probably will get me crucified by guitarists, but I, I like the sound of guitar. But that was played on Twist and Shout in nineteen sixty something, so it is nice to progress and, and make some different. You know, and and with with the technology available, there's so much you can do to to make something sound maybe unexpected. Oh yeah. I mean, there's always going to be the, the fundamental root of the instrument, the mm. bare bones drums we love, but look at what's happening behind you. You have electronic drum kit. This is a completely electronic drum kit, acoustic drum kits over here. You can't see it. Everything's advancing, but, but the heart of it is both of our feet and both of our hands. What can we do with this? Drumming and finding uh, LTJ Bookham and, and and these sort of influences that then led to you starting producing as well. Yeah, it exactly did. So when I heard that, I wasn't producing yet. So I was 18 years old, and from those records, uh, at the time, I so when I heard those CDs, it blew my mind so much. I w I went out to seek where I could find more music like that. And the only thing I could find was these downtown record shops, vinyl shops, hardly anything was on CD uh, that I wanted to look for. And everything was coming out of the UK, like everything. And so I would just create dig and I'm like, Oh, what's this one? This one looks like a, it's got a robot on the front of it. Let's pop it on. And then I'm like, boom, okay. I'm like, this is amazing. So I started <laughs> buying vinyl and then I had to buy a, a record player. So I bought a techniques 1200, I'm like, what's the best best one to get? And then I, I you know, because the guy at like the music shop, he's like, yeah, you can scratch on it. You can do all kinds of stuff. I'm like, that's cool. Okay. So then I bought two and now I had a DJ set up and that spawned me getting into production. So I bought this little QI70, tiny little sequencer from Yamaha. And I, I, made so many songs on that little thing that I had to, I had to save it to a, a disc, this huge chunky disc thing. Uh, it's called MIDI data backup, I think, or something. And uh, I mean, it was it must have been 10 megabytes, like it was hardly anything, there was no samples in there or anything. So it's just MIDI information. Wow. <laughs> but I made hundreds of songs on there. So I'd have to erase the entire thing, back it up and then start over again. And I would just sit on my couch all the time with headphones in, just programming music. And I learned how, I learned a lot about everything by doing that. Well, so I suppose you're DJing and you're producing and you started combining that with drumming. And it's around that time that Pendulum happened or was that a little bit further down the line? That was after, yeah. So I got into, Breakbeats and electronic music, drum and bass when I was about 18. And then I think I started flirting with music on MySpace with 
a bunch of producers and Rob Swire of Pendulum was was in that circle of producers. And I think I was about 28, so 10 years of of playing uh, the breakbeats and, and drum and bass. Brilliant. And so in that 10 years, that was all through my 20s. In that 10 years, I still had a day job because my dad taught me carpentry when I was young. And then I really excelled in carpentry. And then I started doing fine woodworking, um, cabinet installation, mantle pieces, staircases, nice. crown moldings in like multi-million dollar homes. It was really, really cool. And then I had to keep on quitting my jobs because of late night weekly gigs and short tours. And I, music was just first. I didn't care I'm, uh, mm. if, if I showed up hungover or really, really late with two hours of sleep um, because music was first. But I, I, I established a, a, a real skill with carpentry. And so I knew I could go get another job. Mm. But I needed that job. I was damned if I was going to be a broke, poor ass musician making 50 bucks you know yeah yeah you know, 100 bucks a week no way living in on a couch or something like that so i always had a decent place to live and i always could afford symbols and sticks and heads basic stuff mm-hmm. and um just trying really hard to get to that next gig so that was all through my 20s and we did some pretty successful stuff i i managed to get myself around the uk france Brilliant. all over Canada, all over the U.S. as like a solo uh, KJ Saka. I started off as DJ Saka, and then I transferred to KJ Saka, which is actually my name, Kevin Joseph Saka, so it's perfect. At what, at what point did you say, okay, no more car- carpentry, really, really would I'm going to work with this drumsticks? When, when, when did that moment happen? That was when I was about 28, and I was living with my partner, Blake Lewis at the time, who was on American Idol. And um, we've been partnered in music for a really long time growing up in Seattle. And then he got, j- just by by chance, his friend took him to a, a American Idol audition. This was when American mm-hmm. Idol was really, really early, early on. Yeah. And I didn't even know about it because I never watched TV or anything. And, and he's like, hey, I, I think I'm... I got this part on this on this TV show. I'm like, really? Yeah, it's called American Idol. I'm, I'm actually going to be on TV. I'm like, whoa, really? So I saw it and I was like, oh my God. And he's like, what should I do? I'm like, uh, well, practice your ass off. <laughs> practice and practice because you're only going to sing one song or two songs, make it perfect. And so that's what he did. And then we he was really successful he got number two on that and then we played all kinds of shows um the the late night tv show circuit the early breakfast hour tv show circuit so that was before i joined pendulum and then i started doing work with amon tobin who's incredible great artist bt did a bunch of stuff with bt did stuff with andy summers of the police and a bunch of other people and a lot of them from michael shreve actually I uh, did a little session with Jack DeJanet, who came over before he passed. That oh, was wow. incredible. Had all his symbols there. I was like, oh, my goodness. So Michael Shreve from Santana kind of put me under his wing a little bit in my early 20s. We had a band together called Tangletown, which was a band where or, – or it was a town where we lived in. Mm-hmm. And it was two – it was him and I both playing drum set. And, oh, it was really, really awesome stuff. Never got a record out, but we did some really good damage. Yeah, so my early band, 94th Street, had that guitar player who had all those pedals and stuff, and we were playing screaming drum and bass. It was like pop drum and bass, had vocals, big riffs, and really fast. 
I thought drum and bass was at 180 or even 190 because of a Diesel Boy, DJ Diesel Boy compilation that I heard. And he had this Technique 1200s plus 10 on the vinyl, <laughs> which was, you know, 170 plus 10. It was like 180 or, or faster. And so I started playing and getting really comfortable at playing drum and bass at 190. I think it's way too fast now. Every, anytime I see a drummer playing at 190, I'm like, too fast. Slow it down. Yeah. Unless they're playing really soft and finesse and it's just something about it sounds right. Jojo Mayer, he's pretty yeah. decent at playing pretty fast like that. I like I like that style. There's not very many drummers though for me. It almost like correlates to swing a little bit. Like you have a fast sort of and I think Jojo came from a from a jazz background. Um, you know, and he he like that sort of feel playing fast. If you play swing fast and and it's not you haven't got the right feel it just doesn't swing so it's the same with uh drum and bass i suppose oh absolutely yeah yeah i equated i bridged jazz and drum and bass and jungle as i was growing up that's how i equated it i never really equated it to rock until pendulum came into the picture really of course yeah if a conversation with your drums is coming from the snare drum with all the little extra hits and the, you'll be ghost notes and stuff like that very much like it would be happening if you're playing a swing swing band thing you know with the left hands doing chatting it's not really about a backbeat although yeah. there is a backbeat in there particularly with the you know some of the jungle stuff that's just like that's not chatter that's like a that's a full conversation in one in one in one song isn't it a lot of time you know the the rhythms often don't repeat themselves and they just keep on evolving yeah it's a dance and it's the the drums are like the solo instrument sometimes and when I used to play with people, um, sometimes the bass player or keyboard player started playing really fast. And I'm like, no, 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 just play it in half time. And then I'm going to play double time over it. And then when yeah. I said that, if I needed to, they were like, oh my God, this is so sick. Cause they could just flow in this free state while I played double time over it. It was quite cool. So I've read and heard a couple of stories, but I thought I'd get it from the from the horse's mouth so to speak like how did the pendulum gig come about oh um so rob and i were i call it flirting because that's that's just what we were doing on myspace little messages back and forth sometimes long periods of time um in between and i was i was so i gave him a a like a six minute jam in the studio drum sounded good super raw no edits or anything and i sent out a series of i had like 12 different six minute jams that i would sent to to spore who is now feed me sent it to noisia sent it to um tony coleman uh um oh hospital uh, hospital records yes. um tons of of producers and it was amazing like i was like how do i get how do I hit these producers up? And my one friend was like, everybody's on AO, AIM, um, um, Instant Messenger. I'm like, yeah. okay. So I got on there and I literally saw every producer in there and I wasn't even friends with them. I'm like, I could just message this person right now. And so I started messaging and then I got, it's fairly easy to get a hold of people on MySpace. So I started messaging, I'm like, hey, I, I, you, you might not know who I am, but here's a beat. And they're like, oh, and people, the producers were just over the moon. They're like, I can't believe you did this and you play like this. This is amazing. And some of them are like, I don't even know how to put this into my productions, but this is totally crazy. And so Rob was one of those and uh, producers and, and he's, and, and so we started, he's like, yeah, we should collaborate. When we met face to face, that was like a real pinnacle moment and it was amazing because I was playing with BT and I was playing with Blake Lewis. We were playing all over the country, big, big shows. And I didn't know that they were seeking me out to, to, to have me join the band. And it was just a synergy. It just, it just yeah, happened yeah. because if we met and I was too, you know, the personalities didn't, didn't mesh or whatever, like, and it was random actually too, because I was there with, with, with BT and and I'm like, Pendulum is playing the same stage. This is sick. Okay, so I went 
back in their trailer and I knocked on the door. And I'm like, hey, is Rob Swire there? And I'm like, yeah, hold on. And then they're like, oh, Kevin, KJ Saka's here. Oh, man. And so it was a, it was just a really big moment. And, um, and then it went dark after that. Like our communication kind of stopped and stuff. And I'm like, I just have a, a feeling that I'm going to be playing with, with Pendulum more. Something, something is brewing. And my intuition was right. Rob called me up and, and he's not much for small talk. And, and he's like, let me just cut to the chase. I'm like, okay. He's like, we want you to join Pendulum as not just a drummer, but a writer with us um, and be a part of everything. And you're going to have to move to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, I had a manager at the time and um, it was so funny because on the phone, I was like, I mean, I got a, a, a fiance, I have a home, a band that I'm in, a manager, like things are moving. And I'm, I was just like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> because it was like I, I started seeking them out because I didn't really know who Pendulum was until Rob and I started talking on MySpace, and I was like, "Wow, this is a band who is playing major festivals, mm-hmm. like headline position, and playing a little bit of rock music, which I love, and they're playing drum and bass on a big stage. Like this is unheard of, especially in America. It was absolutely unheard of. It, the drum and bass was in the dark side room at a rave." There was nothing remotely close to drum and bass on big stages, but this was fairly common in the UK, though. Yeah, we, we had we had a few. It was Ronnie Size represent had a, a live drummer, and uh, Tony Coleman with London Electricity had the Jungle drummer playing, but maybe not the same size of production as Pendulum is on you know, on on main stages at festivals and stuff like that. So even that is moving the concept forward a little bit, um, you know, on there because. Yeah, you you played some rather large stages over the years. Yeah, yeah. And so I saw, um, you know, before me, they played uh, Glastonbury and some pretty big, big monumental gigs. And I was like, wow, I want to be associated with the band somehow. And so he called me up and just said, hey, we want you to join the band. And that and and then my manager at the time, I told him, he's like, wow, he's like, well, you didn't say yes yet, did you? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I did. He's like, oh my goodness. How did how did you find moving to London affected your your creativity and your music and all this sort of it's I haven't been to Seattle but I'm imagining London and Seattle are a little bit different to each other. Yeah, well, the UK is so much older than the, than the US. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah, to, as far as my experience there, just seeing castles and and houses all made out of stone and concrete is so different because they're like, we call them cracker boxes here, um, or uh, it, they're, they're just made with wood. And I don't think these homes last that long necessarily. Wood is gonna depreciate and and, yeah. uh, and die eventually. It's gonna get rot. But houses made out of stone, like they live for hundreds of years. And that was a big thing. I was like, wow, this is so medieval compared to the States. And it, I, I loved it. I loved the grass and the castles and everything. And um, I just really enjoy getting out of my typical culture and being in something, a, a, a new land that's totally new, new to me. I remember when f- flying in, finally got to my hotel in Wales the very first time I landed there. And this is embarrassing, but, but I, I do tell this story because the the concierge the the main guy at the hotel it was a total dump hotel oh my god i was asking my wife i was i was like yeah she's like let me help you to try to book this 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 uk tour or this Mm -hmm. european tour okay i'm like well we don't have much of a budget i mean i had to go from london all the way down to the south of france 
with hardly any money to to play a gig for for 500 or 300 euros and the gig actually did really well so he gave me another 200 euros and i barely made it back up i had like 20 euros left for gas and food for uh there was just there it was just pennies um mm -hmm. and so the i think it was like i don't even know seven quid a night or something like that it was really really cheap hotel didn't know but there was like stabbings and prostitution all kinds of stuff that went on at this hotel and i didn't know this oh, what? <laughs> cheap hotels it seems great and um so but but anyways um I, I the guy started talking to me and he's like you're right mate i didn't know what he was saying i was like and it was just it was just a really funny encounter because when my very first time somebody saying are you all right mate and i didn't know what he was saying and i didn't know what word he was saying and i couldn't tell why he was saying that where i finally figured out he he, he said he was asking me are you all right which is this mm -hmm. like saying hi of course yeah, yeah and i and i'm like well yeah i'm fine I, it was just, I, was, <laughs> I was uh i was so ignorant really you know because seattle was was my only life <laughs> well it, that's one of these weird colloquialisms to the uk it's like when someone says are you all right it doesn't actually require an answer you can reply <laughs> with are you all right but yeah. neither if you actually tell each other if you are all right you just inquire about the all rightness of the other person with no resolution yeah <laughs> it's like saying how you doing um it's the same thing it's not required to to say i'm doing fine like how you doing how you doing oh, yeah out of everywhere you traveled like so when you were touring are there places along the journey that make you sort of like that stick out in your memory are there a couple of places i think of when i've been you know for a gig or something else and it's just like this place feels like home or mm. this place has got a vibe that makes me feel totally comfortable here yeah Finland is like that. yeah i can't explain what it is you know but you just feel you're you're okay you know it's like oh yeah that's a good feeling to have south korea kind of felt like that south korea and finland uh they kind of have this like reminiscent of, a, of american kind of modern uh they, it reminded me of seattle which is big tall trees i think very similar like fir trees and and um some some oak trees maple trees and i'm like oh this kind of looks like seattle and especially in finland the air was just like amazing to breathe mm. and the water i couldn't believe it i went to the gym uh and normally there's like a water purifier thing with some cups and so there's some cups sitting by a sink with some towels and some hand washing i'm like okay this is where we wash our hands i'm like where's the where's the water i'm like huh i guess we just take it out of the faucet so i would started i drank the, uh, our, our most recent trip to finland i drank the water and i it just blew my mind it tasted just like nothing it tasted the most purest mineral water i've ever drank and wow it blew my mind and and i was telling people around the hotel they're like yeah they're like a lot of the water that's bottled comes from finland um it's okay so that's water. whenever you came back from travel did you find that you're more inspired in the studio or did or did you just not stop producing it as you went around because you had the laptop with you uh, on, on uh, a little bit of both for yeah. sure yeah so i always miss my studio and i write songs a little differently and I edit differently. Like I have this huge monitor in front of me editing. I'll edit four different projects at the same time. I got a computer in the other room as well from when things take a really long time to render, I'll be bouncing back and forth. I've got a drum set downstairs as well. Uh, but when I'm on the road, there's no drum set. So doing drum things is non-existent really. And that was really tough with my long stints in the UK because I really didn't have a studio to practice so i felt mm. rusty on the drum set all the time every gig i'm like oh, i'm getting so rusty and then i stayed with some friends and he had electronic drum set so i just sh shredded as much as possible um but um yeah i yearn for the studio and i it's mostly the pr the productivity i think i'm like mm. i gotta get back because a lot of times some emails would be like i can't really get back to you with this until i get back yeah 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 um but i'm trying more than ever to be that digital nomad 
and have a functioning running business wherever I go. I think it's pretty, pretty important these days. Um, I think yeah. it's more, more doable now as well, because pretty much everywhere you can go, you can get the internet, you can take your laptop with you. You know, we're, just in the last few years, mobile internet even has just got so much faster. You know, so oh, you, yeah. you, can, you can be, uh, next time I, I go traveling, I want to just record some sounds when I'm out and about. And then you know, when, I, when I'm sat in a hotel room and you're know, waiting at times, I can stick them into Ableton and just create some, some music from found sounds and stuff like that, which a few years ago wouldn't be able to do, but you could do it in your iPhone, your microphone, chuck it into your Mac and then just, you know, create something on the fly. Yeah. That's actually really cool because you were talking about um, rhythms and sounds from around the world and you can have so much different influence in your songs with your environment. There's different birds, there's different sounds from wind going through different types of trees. There's different cars, different horns and in every place that you go. So you can capture a little bit of that essence yeah. and put it into the music. In effect, it's still all all rhythm, isn't it? It's all, you know, like these different tones, different tonalities, the different rhythms of a different city are still rhythms. And it's, I always I always feel like we've come back from some of this little bit of that rhythm now, part of me, which is added to whatever I'm doing next. I'm sure you must get that even more so with the amount of different places you've been to. For me, it's mostly just like a kind of a blanket inspiration of from being in that country never been in that country before or going back to that country uh again for for the second or third time and i'm like ah oh, this feels so nice i i enjoy soaking up the the culture eating the local foods and going for a run i i dive into working out and and nature and stuff when i'm on the road and i probably write less songs and uh, so that's why I have this yearning to come back to the studio to really get stuff done. Yeah, yeah, to get, to get um, back into it. Yeah. Rhythms, though, my rhythms don't change that much, but everything is rhythm, right? As, yeah. as, as you know, you could have one note, one, like a melody could just be one note. Uh, and well, a melody is not a melody without rhythm. It's just a note. It's just an, oh, it's just a note by itself, like a horn honk or something like that. Yeah. But, but there, but there is a start and a stop and that could technically be a rhythm, especially yeah. if you apply some sort of other rhythm to it. Like if you're just having a talking sequence, uh, cadence, and then the horn honks, and then, you know, now you have this cadence and now you have this other start and stop of a tone. Hmm. Those could technically give, be a rhythm on top of each other. Yeah. If you repeat it, now you have a polyrhythm. Exactly. <laughs> and there we are. We're, we're, we've, we've, we're, we're into, into full rhythm, polyrhythms and everything <laughs> just from the environment around us, which is, uh, yeah. Especially birds oh, and animals. The way, the way birds sing is, is amazing. The magpies down, down under. Oh my goodness. The first time I heard them outside my hotel room, I'm like, what kind of bird is that? And Rob and Gaz were like, oh yeah, that's those are magpies. Those they're they sound incredible and they're so loud and they're so talkative. And yeah, yeah I never seen or heard of magpie before. They blew my mind. When I was a kid, I was pretty influenced by African rhythms, the African rhythms that I mm. that I knew of, um, and then so I started doing polyrhythmic demonstrations in high school. When I was out of high school, I'd go back to the to the high school and, and do them. So show yeah. up with a kick, snare, cowbell, woodblock, little jingles, tambourine, and things, and then demonstrate what polyrhythms were, and it was interesting because I. American um, uh, education is totally effed, like lies, lies on top of lies. And um, it's, uh, um, uh, but anyways, uh, in the history class, there was this part of the history class where it was learning about Africa. And so mm -hmm. that was when I came in 
and polyrhythms were a really big part of learning about Africa. So it, it was weird. It was really fun because I had to kind of get down everything that I was saying. It was like a legit hour long class wow. yeah. for people who didn't care about rhythm really. That's the, that's must be a tricky concept explaining polyrhythm to people who don't get rhythm. That's like, yeah. 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 I had to have, the, have them clap and stuff, you know, on different, different pulses and things, real basic stuff, you know, two over three and things and, and, hmm. and dotted quarter notes and dotted eighth notes and things. And, uh, and then it was actually really cool because I started learning a lot myself dissecting what rhythm is. And I started realizing that there was a multitude of polyrhythms. And one of the cooler, cooler ones were tempo polyrhythms. And we actually did that in a pendulum set one time where um, we were playing drum and bass 174. And then we slowed it down just a little bit. And the quarter note, um, dotted quarter note was around 128 or so 125 and then so it was like da 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 ka ka and then we and then that was the the main quarter note for the second rhythm and then we had this technology um uh mixed with polyrhythms where my hi-hat over four bars slowly turned into a kick drum um, and it was so cool. So it was just like, ka, 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 and then that ka turned into a boom. So it was ka, 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 gung, 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 ka, gung, ka. And we were like, oh yes, this is so sick. It was super, super freaking cool. Is it, is it something you've played with since as, as, as a band? No, we just did it for our Australian tour and we didn't record it or anything. And it was just for the live show. It was like a jam going in to from one song to another song. That's it was amazing. the ABC News. ABC News was a big is a big deal there. And every time we played it, it was like a really big crowd favorite. Taking that influence and putting it into a different concept as well. And your know, context from African polyrhythm to pendulum in Melbourne. It's yeah. like yeah, yeah, I, the, the journey of rhythm. Maybe when we're talking about technology, that could be a good chance to have it. I've got a few technology-based questions because I know you leaned straight in when it when we went into lockdown and, and things changed dramatically overnight. You you leaned straight into that and you set up a Discord um, group and you had a, a channel on Twitch as well. And maybe you know, my, my thinking on that is maybe the next location for the rhythm is the metaverse, you know, the internet, the, the connected world. And I think maybe, well, it was almost, I meant to mention earlier, we were talking about MySpace and, and AIM back in you know, 2009, 2010. That was the beginnings of what we're looking at now, yeah. that connectivity, regardless of location. Um, but yeah, right. so maybe maybe just tell, tell us a bit about um, how that came about, you know, the, the Discord and the, and the Twitch and really getting stuck in with the internet stuff. Yeah, when the pandemic happened, all the gigs just, halted and that was my main source of livelihood and i had maybe just a couple handfuls of students and so i was like we got to move out of la and all the gigs are done and i'm going to ramp up my teaching for survival really and then i realized uh that it was a great time for everybody to want to learn too so i was like wow i was like I was like, I saved myself by already having these students. And then, and then I just ramped it up and yeah, everyone was learning to yearning to learn because we were in lockdown for a long time. And, and the lockdown seemed to happen for a much longer period because people didn't really want to go out, you know, cause COVID was crazy. It's, it's still pretty, pretty wild. Still a thing definitely still a thing yeah and so it that spawned this whole this whole digital thing for me so being more of a digital nomad uh doing online lessons no one needs to come over at all we can be chat just like this with your drum set my drum set make sure we we have sound levels and then we can start playing the drums or screen sharing the production in ableton and everything 
fairly easily. And that was, that is working really, really well. And since then it is now a staple of, of my career in businesses. Cause I realized that I was kind of chasing the gigs mm. for years. And if I didn't have gigs that post tour depression would start to set in financially too. Okay, great. We made some money and now there's no money. That's the classic, you know, you make a bunch of money, you make no money. You make a bunch of money, you make no money. Classic musician financial road. And I was like, I don't want to live like that anymore. I need to be making money, consistent money here in my studio as a career. And the gigs, I want to be the icing on the cake. And that is now what's happening. And I am preaching that now. I'm like, get your center of your business. Like I, I mentor so many, so many people. I'm like, get your center of business dialed so you don't have to rely on that gig that might happen, but it might not happen too. So if a gig that's, you know, thousands of dollars is about to happen, it hasn't happened yet. Make sure you have your daily, weekly mm. uh, income happening, whether you need a day job or, or whatever. I tell students um, to keep all their day jobs because mm. musicians are notorious for not working. Like, what are you doing? Oh, I've been working on my songs. Well, that's good. So you're working on a product to, and your company is going to sell that product, right? Well, no. And some people are turned off by that, by, by that suit t terminology, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, corporate terminology. Well, it's not corporate terminology or suit terminology. It's basic business, like the most basic bare bones business. You, what are you doing? We're making a product. Now we need to sell that product and evangelize that product. The product might be playing on, on stage and that is a product, mm -hmm. but with music, it's like, it's the cool factor and art too. So you can't look at it like, well, the, the public can't see us as a corporation or a company or something like that, just creating a product, developing a product, selling the product. Mm. And then now we're, and now we have employees and, and we're, we're, we're a company, you know, the, the public just sees us and actors, very similar mm. actors and, and just somebody in the limelight, that's what they're doing. But at the core of it, there's many people who are in the limelight playing really big shows who are just freaking broke. No yeah. money. Spend all their money on the road. They live the, the freaking rock star life. They live the dream. Things are going great. And then when they get back home to their family, they're miserable. So part of my goal with mentoring is to try to help balance that equation for people because I am I have never been more balanced in my life since COVID, since the digital platform has been here. And it feels really good not to be shackled by the gig. It's weird even saying that because it's, it's a um, privilege through a lot of different things, hard work, a lot of luck, and a, and a lot of good choices to be able to play that stage. I absolutely do not take it for granted. It's an absolute privilege to play that stage. But now I can't take financially and my whole my whole personal life for granted either. There's got to be, you know, I'm 44 years old. I'm not getting any younger. And so I, th I am thinking of the long, the long game versus the short game. This moment in time, we're in this place where we, we, we have, we're in the, the land of niche now. We're in the world of niche. If we want to create a particular type of music, find an audience, connect with our audience, and make a living from interacting with our audience, 
that is possible because everybody is connected on the internet. You can be speaking to fans from Hong Kong to to London, you know, just without leaving your your house. Yeah. Um, and that's where you know, and I think a lot of us certainly I had very similar experience to yourself over over lockdown. It's like you'll certainly feel a lot more centered. The, the gigs are the right gigs. And I think that's you know what because you've got something that will, will keep you centered and keep you focused as well because it's it's still drumming it's just a different a different aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. When I in my twenties, I I I still had some students, but I subscribed to the false notion that if entertainment doesn't work out, then you teach, and that is so far from the truth like teaching it for for me and for a lot of teachers that i know like matt halpern from periphery for instance yeah. big metal band on the forefront of gent and and metal music when i saw them come around seattle we were talking backstage and he's like he's like man i've been doing these drum clinics like after our shows and it is even more fulfilling than the shows. And I was like, really? I was like, it baffled my brain. I, I, I couldn't even believe why he thought that, like everything about it, you make less money, there's less people, you have to do more work. But the one-on-one -on -one connection that he was making with people, that is what the reward was didn't yeah. have anything to do with a huge crowd or the money or anything. He was he, like that. So I finally figured it out. It's the simplest thing, but the, the ultimate thing in life is to learn and to teach. Cause if you can make someone else's life better, like that's it. You made their life better. Like, and the whole concept is to try to make our lives better through teaching or, or, yeah. or, or through learning. And so you just learn to that person <laughs> with Twitch and discord. It's mm -hmm. a, there's a, um, a, a, a fusion of entertainment and education that I really, really was drawn to. And I didn't realize that until I started, I started streaming and I'm like, wow, I'm teaching people or at least just showing them what I'm doing. And so they yeah. can, you, you know, it may, might be entertainment for them. It might be a learning environment might just be uh them hanging out or whatever which is totally fine all all three of those yeah. are fine and and then there was some money involved too i was like oh wow okay so this is keeping me afloat with like the lockdown and mm. and people can do it too like you know yeah. you don't have to be you don't have to have millions of fans just like you said you can have this small niche genre and gather some fans it's the it's the thousand what do they call it thousand fans I, there's a book called the thousand fans yeah yeah if you can get a thousand and so that number might be a lot to some people but if you take a look at spotify you can't even get a number reading without hit, hitting at least a thousand so so mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things a thousand is not very big at all thousand bucks most people's mortgages or rent is a thousand bucks you're gonna go through a thousand bucks worth of food in a couple months thousand a thousand is just not a big word anymore yeah and it shouldn't yeah. be a big word for a lot of people and if you take a look at that just one thousand people who could give you ten bucks twenty bucks fifty bucks a year mm. or a hundred bucks a year that's a hundred thousand dollars for doing what you love to do and creating a fan base. That's not a, a out of reach goal. It's a big goal, but it's not out of reach for people. You're absolutely right. And that's, I, I, I personally feel that's where music and, and the future of music, particularly within niche music is, is going to go. You know, there, there, there's never been a better time to explore that sort of side project and see if you can make that happen and turn it into a full project because now, you know, whereas when, if we take it back to when you're in Seattle, there was the people who would drive to Seattle to see a gig, but now the world is your Seattle, if that makes sense. That, that's that's a very strange sentence I just did there, but yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, 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 exactly. You know, like the whole small fish in a big pond or big fish in a small pond type of scenario. 
is ever more real and ever more of a huge open sea yeah of possibility you know especially like with advertising and things like that like in, on facebook and on instagram if you do it localized you can reach a lot of people and everybody in the pubs and and clubs and and coffee shops could see your advertisement so I have a friend who has a music school in Seattle and he does really, really well localized uh, in-person and Zoom calls. And he's like, yeah, uh, you'd be surprised what 50 bucks or hundred bucks can do on an ad that is only very localized to only a thousand to 10,000 people in a very small localized area. A lot of people are like, how do I make it? It's the world is so big. Well, just like you said, if you start to kind of go niche and like we're still thinking really big, but but you have mm. to start somewhere. So instead exactly. of starting so big, start a little smaller and create that fire. Well, that's it. Yeah, you start with that and then it builds. Well, what we talk about technology, I've got one final question. What do you think the future of rhythm is? I know you're, you're involved with Ableton and eDrums and stuff like that. So the next sort of the next step, the next part of the technology, what? What do you think is our, our next step in, in the world of rhythm? Wow, what a great question. Um, I feel like a bit of everything, really. Um, I loved how you talked about niche uh, music movements and, and, and you can create something that's pretty unique in this vast world. It might not be unique, actually. Mm. By the time you finally build it, you're like, wow, there's somebody else doing this exact same music. Maybe it is, though, through your research. Maybe it's completely unique. And so that's where I think that's true. I think there's going to be a lot more really cool um, niche styles of music happening that involve all kinds of crazy rhythms. Mm. And also there's going to be on a, on a massive scale on like pop music, I think there's always going to be that very basic four on the floor beat for a lot of people who just aren't into music at all um, as far as being a musician, which is the majority of people, kind of. Um, I mean, most people know how to dance or know what songs are, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you describe a beat, you know, most of them don't understand because most, I, I don't actually, actually, I have no idea what the percentage of people uh are, that, that our musicians are i would yeah, find it to be quite low compared to the oh, global yeah. population i always, I always feel like the four to the floor beats like a gateway that's the thing that gets someone in and then they can find the good stuff yeah, yeah. i mean someone can learn about rhythm and beats and even make a song in a dot or play a basic drum beat mm. in the day you know yeah. not yeah. rocket science at all and it's what I mean by that is it's it's part of who we are. It's our nature. I mean, that's so as far as the advancement of rhythm, there's no escaping rhythm because we have a beating heart and our blood is pulsing through our veins. We are a rhythm machine just by nature. My thanks to KJ. You'll find links to his music and social media profiles in the show notes. Next time on Place and Time. I will always say the city is a composer. You know, yeah. the city com- is basically composing. You know, and um, what you hear is the composition of the city, and this composition is based on different uh, as- uh, elements coming together. Nigerian sound artist Emeka Ogbo tells us about how he creates music using the city of Lagos as a canvas and how a chance set of circumstances over lockdown led to him releasing one of the year's most critically acclaimed electronic music albums. Until then, thanks for listening.